0: Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker.
1: One of the central tenets of capitalism is this absence of central planning. But how can central planning actually benefit society? We'll discuss a couple examples that are both derived from profit motive and how with central planning we could actually realize societal benefits. One of the things holding back progress is... The free market and this idea that competition breeds innovation and efficiency, and it just simply is not the case. And it's not the case because of the idea. It's the case because of the corruption that is derived from the idea. So like all things that have a profit motive, the profit motive is abused by the rich and the powerful. And this is often the case with neoliberalism. So as the government tends to regulate less and less, political actors will seize this absence of regulation and they will use this opportunity to enshrine their own profit motive into public policy, and this harms all of us. An example would be the government paying multiple companies to produce insulin to create competition to reduce costs. There are all sorts of complexities to this example, but on its surface, there's nothing malicious about the idea. Taking the idea of free market capitalism a little bit further leads to this malicious idea where you can actually co opt the competition for your own benefit, and this idea is sort of put forth. In as a key construct of neoliberalism, which is privatization. Through political maneuverings, uh, people can position themselves to be part of an entity that receives the new private powers of government through this perceived idea of competition. Uh, And then you can use this power for self-gain. In the insulin example, it would be advocating for the government not to produce insulin, then creating a company that manufactures insulin, then increasing the prices of insulin to profit without the government having any role in regulating this entity.
0: I like your example of insulin. This is the idea where the government is attempting to help people, but because insulin became prevalent, it became something where everybody was using it and now is in need of it. Uh, The competition because of margins slowly goes away and because capitalism requires profit motives, you see all the competition basically die because there's no motivation to actually make insulin. So you end up with just one or two players And eventually they just consume each other and merge together and you have a single supply source. And this is what, you know, is commonly referred to as a monopoly. And this is what allows for things like a 1200% increase in insulin over X amount of years. You're seeing this, this transfer of you sort of government money and a push for industry and all the programs that they have. And that's through the department of defense, department of energy, department of education, uh, DARPA, uh, NASA, any one of the big organizations, they always seem to fund money. And eventually they have these, Small business grants that come out and you have all this competition that sort of derives themselves from the competition or from all this other, you know, grant money. But then as soon as you move into the actual profit motive, all the competition goes away. And this is that part of neoliberalism that actually hurts the person or hurts society. And that's because you take and you privatize everything about the government that you love, like the research and the development, all the stuff that you need in society. You privatize that and you turn it over to corporate profits. And another prime example is a CA just basically came out and said that any patents that you work on in the CIA, you can now profit off of if they become sellable, which is absolutely insane because you're using government money to then make basically profits for employees, which is insane now, because now it's another transfer of wealth to the privatization.
1: So let's talk about the coronavirus vaccine. We have a number of competing uh, corporations, both in the U.S. and kind of internationally. And they're all attempting to come up with some vaccines so that we can get back to
0: normal. <laughs> back to normal, which is what? Slaving away every day and, and hoping that you have enough hours in your paycheck to cover your healthcare expenses?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ex- exploitation because we, we need to get back to that. That's where the roots are. So you have a number of these, these entities, and they're all basically trying to do the same thing. And, you know, it, it's unclear to me or maybe the general public how much sort of data sharing or research is actually shared amongst these entities that have the same kind of profit motive, which is if they come up with a vaccine first, they're going to make a bunch of money because they're going to be the sole source provider of vaccines going forward to 7 billion people on earth. So they, they have a motive not to sort of share research because they want to be the last remaining, the one, the only, the best vaccine, the first, whatever superlative you want to use. So under, under this scenario, how does this help society? It
0: doesn't help society. In fact, what they've done is because there's a profit margin or motive to it, they've actually weaponized corona. And it's part of you know this idea of disaster capital, which we've heard before, which is the ability to make money when things are basically falling apart. Uh, and you're seeing sort of the posturing of every country saying that their vaccine's the best. You see the United States out to try to buy exclusive rights. And then what happens is once the United States has exclusive rights, they hand that contract over to a private company to manufacture it for them. And so now instead of the coronavirus vaccine being free because we paid for it using tax money, it's now being profitized by some company that says, Oh, poor me. If I if I don't make twenty seven dollars a vial, I'm going to go out of business when it's bullshit. You should just force the companies to make the vaccine anyways and save the population It's completely nonsense to me right now
1: all right so what would a a coherent or normative government response look like how would we want our government to respond during COVID with regard to a vaccine and i think it's pretty simple Uh, i think the first is you want to ensure that information and research is shared so if one company is doing research you want that company to publish their research and make it freely available to another company that's also doing research on a vaccine so that you share this information, you don't have two companies redundantly working on the same thing. Because while redundancy might be profitable, it doesn't actually benefit the intended pursuit of having a vaccine. So redundancy is bad. Uh, And the other idea is that whenever a given entity would arrive at a vaccine that was actually functional, it's formula would be shared globally. And anybody that wanted to manufacture it or had the capability to manufacture it would produce as much of it as possible to ensure that a whole world population had access to it or whatever the threshold is for viability of herd immunity or whatever the epidemiological thresholds were for having a population take a vaccine and have it be effective.
0: And that sharing information and the the vaccine formula and and all the key learnings means that not only are you spreading it, you know, within your own country, but you're also saving the world because you can spread everywhere. And it also means that you're not trying to fight and be the first to win. Cause right now what we're seeing is that individuals and companies are trying to be the first to vaccinate because they want to be the champions. They want to be the leaders. They want to make money off of this, right? You're seeing this already downplayed a couple of this, you know, earlier how they're dunking on Russia saying, Oh, you didn't test it. Well, if they already have a vaccine formulation that might work, there's ethical reasons why you wouldn't just test it but you just slam it into people and see if it worked, because you're trying to save lives you're not trying to test this out right so centralized planning or the idea that the government's out for the people means that nothing along the way is wasted for efficiency when we're trying to fight this monster which is vaccination same thing with forest fires right we it shouldn't be a state idea or a state problem that oregon is on its own and california is on their own there should be federally funded programs in which it's a federal, you know, requirement to go out and fight these wildfires. Because California, even though it's individual state, provides, you know, sustenance everything else to the rest of the country. It's not like they're the independent island; they are part of our ecosystem, society. And not only that, but the loss of lives, loss of homes, loss of animals. There's a lot of reasons why the federal government should be involved and not just shitting all over them. Like the federal government is now saying it's their fault.
1: So another issue related to wildfires is the weather service. Uh, and An example of the weather service doing good work is tracking hurricanes, doing models, doing projections, doing watches, determining uh, evacuation sites so that affected uh, citizens can migrate to higher ground away from where large uh, rainfalls or winds are anticipated to hit. And there's no, there's no real profit motive for the Weather Service to do a good job here. It's just an important functionality that the government provides. Uh, and now there, there could be some scheme where you have two corporations that try and give the best models or something like that. But at the end of the day, it's not like I'm paying for a hurricane model. I don't pay for any of it. But it benefits me to know that there's a tornado or a hurricane or a severe thunderstorm, or any weather-related event, a blizzard, hail, lightning, that that exhausts my uh, ability to name meteorological phenomena.
0: So things that are affected by all of these that uh, are actually in your best interest, not only is it if you live in the south or the coastline that you want to get out of there, or the hurricane or the fire regions, are infrastructure. So things that not just your roads and and where to get out, but how do you manage your electricity lines or your electrical lines or your waterways? Right. Do you worry about landslides coming down and plugging up rivers, things like that? There's also issues with shipping and shipping canals, large ocean boxes coming over from, you know, China, shipping grains out. So a lot of agricultural issues, a lot of just shipping issues that, you know, if you're caught in the ocean, there's a problem if there's a hurricane coming. Uh, so there's a lot of things beyond just, you know, keeping you safe. It's also keeping the, com- the country running. Now, we don't agree with capitalism, but we do agree that you do have to have a stable supply chain in order to keep people from dying from, like, you know, loss of food. You saw that in Katrina where the hurricane was so bad they basically lost every part of the infrastructure. So not only do they lose the ability to, to drive on, you know, anywhere at all, but, you know, how do you manage boats, how do you manage aircraft, how do you manage food coming in, how do you manage clean water, how do you manage sewage, all that That's all important. So you don't want to get to the point where, you know, the hurricane causes devastation or the wildfires cause devastation because there's way too many things to rebuild once you get that far. And that's where having centralized planning on a weather service is really important for the safety of everybody.
1: But there's also sweet, sweet profit in rebuilding.
0: Yeah. It's, 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 it's a really funny thing because you have two people competing with one another, right? You have the uh, insurers and then you have the reinsurers. So, you basically have these these risk models that suggest whether or not insurance should be reinsured and whether or not you're just going to take money out. So it's kind of like how the, what's the WHO that offered, the World Bank that offered uh, Corona insurance?
1: Pandemic bonds.
0: Pandemic bonds. And you basically just paid them 10% or some nonsense every year. And if you, d- if you paid them for 10 years, you basically paid for the bonds themselves. But in the end, you actually got paid out by just taking pandemic bonds. So same idea. You can make profit, but if there's a wildfire, you lose money. So it's a a really crazy uh, competition. And this this goes back to the profit motives, right? People don't do things like this unless they're either forced to by the government or there's a profit motive. And that's the takeaway, is if there's a profit motive, they'll they'll do it readily. But if if not, the government needs to come in and say, for the good of society, this is what we're doing.
1: And this also applies to medical devices. Uh, So not every medical device is necessarily a life-saving device. Uh, So we'll we'll kind of talk about one category versus the other. But uh, a recent example that I think everybody knows about is EpiPens. And EpiPens are basically a, it's a syringe containing epinephrine, which is used to stabilize people that are having allergic reactions. And this is often used by children in their schools when they ingest some sort of food that they are allergic to. Uh, And so this this is a, a good thing. Conceptually, we want kids to have medical attention in the form of this injectable Mm -hmm. sort of pen-like device if they have some sort of allergic reaction. We should be funding this in schools, but we should not be creating a basic monopoly in the terms of Mylan. Mylan, Mylan, not sure how you pronounce the company, but they're the company that makes EpiPens. Uh, The CEO is the daughter of Joe Manchin, who is the Democratic senator from West Virginia. He sucks. He sucks. Their family has effectively worked really hard to create a small cottage industry around profiting off of selling these EpiPens. And nobody benefits. Uh, it's a it's a classic example of how the government should step in and say, look, these devices are important and we're going to just manufacture them. We're going to fix costs. This is like public patented knowledge. It's not a complex, difficult to make medical device. It's a basically a plastic tube with a needle. And they sell for like... 400 bucks.
0: A spring-loaded three-inch needle, right?
1: And you stab it in your leg if you have any reaction.
0: You, you know, it, it goes to uh, a little bit more corruption here. So we talked before about how neoliberalism is this idea that you have market and market competition. But the government's job is supposed to come in and make sure the market is, in the eyes of capitalism, not in reality, but in the eyes of capitalism, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, a fair competition. But what we've seen in practice and when it comes to crony. Capitalism, keep using that word.
1: Thanks, Sarah Palin.
0: Is that Sarah Palin isn't wrong. She just benefits from it, right? So she's just a piece of shit that, that basically called the kettle black continuously because she profited from crony capitalism her entire life. And what we mean by that is that you get people in power who then pass laws to make it easier for you to make more money. And this is exactly what happened here. Somebody's you know, family member pushed and passed laws that the company they were CEO of, which, again, stock bonuses and all that fun stuff, profit motives, made more money, which should be, it's it's unethical, should be illegal. And what we're seeing now is that when you have like 11 states passing laws, forcing, you know, EpiPen requirements in schools, we now see a transfer of wealth from the working class into the profits or into the pockets of the wealthy. That's not slowing down because now you're required to have it. And now you're required to administer it every single time someone has the allergic reaction, or you're held accountable for it. So now you have to ask your que- the question: like, are you going to hold back reserves? You don't want to pay four to twelve hundred dollars per epipen, right? Now, now there's a real issue with administering it because if they jack the price up like they did, now people are going to die because they're going to be afraid to use it for fear of having too much money come out of their pocket. This is nonsense. So, so to continue on with the idea of why centralized planning is awesome, let's think about where our food comes from in farming. And so right now you pay pretty much a stable price uh, at the supermarket, not because of the market, but because of all the subsidies that the government throws at farmers to not only grow, but also prevent overproduction. Second, a lot of the farmers have what's called co-ops, which maybe you don't know about, which is a collection of farms that basically pull all of the resources together to stabilize the markets. So they're not competing against one another. So they themselves, the farms within a certain region, let's say Iowa and corn, may have an Iowa Corn Growers Association, and they basically fix the price. They pull all of their grain together to make sure it's a stable price. That way you're not competing against Farm A versus Farm B on, on corn crops, because that would make no sense for them to be in you market know, against each other. And it becomes a commodity. And that centralized planning right there is proof that if we combine this with everything, we can actually stabilize all the markets and pretty much feed everybody within the United States just from the fact that the government already subsidizes most of this food. You get rid of the profit motive and everybody gets to have food.
1: Yeah, farming is a prime example of central planning working because it is actively done and it really needs to be, otherwise it's not. Not even from a profit perspective, but from just a nominal viability perspective of not every town can afford a giant grain silo. So everybody pools their money and you get a grain silo that accepts deliveries and you pool all of your grown resource so that you get a more fixed price that's less volatile, that has a more economically stable value so that you can make longer term decisions based on the value of your commodity.
0: That's right. And if there's a storm that hits or a rot that hits, you're not wiping up, you know, a bunch of production somewhere else and everything is smoothed out in the system. It's really important. The same thing with energy, you know, centralized planning, it's great in France, right? They have all the same style nuclear reactors, which means if the parts break, they know how to fix it. It's not like this insane, you know, profit-driven thing in the United States where you have a bunch of coal-fired plant plants or natural gas or competing nuclear sites that, that have custom-made parts that if something goes wrong, they can't fix, they're down for three years. All these things that, that come up because of the profit motive are, are actually detrimental to you and I. Because every single time they take a dollar, they're taking money out of, of the service they could provide you. And energy is needed. I don't know a single person that can live without electricity. Now, you know, obviously, we can be hyperbolic and say, yes, what about the Amish? Fine. What about the homeless? Yes. But, I mean, majority of the population lives within some construct that requires them to have a refrigerator, to have heating and cooling, to have cooking, right? So you still need electricity. So, but it's one of these uh, things where they have these state regula- regulatory bodies where they regulate the cost, but they don't actually regulate how it's produced or, or decrease how many different companies sell electrical equipment. And if they did that, and then they would streamline, this, uh, streamline the whole system and create electricity and heat and everything for way cheaper than what it already is.
1: So another thing with electricity and energy generation is that most of the entities that provide it are literally established as monopolies. They are, they are intended and designed to be centrally planned because there is an understanding that having two power plants in the same region doesn't really accomplish anything. So another example of central planning working. So at the same time, each of these monopolies do have a profit motive. So while they are granted kind of the right to be the one, the only, Uh, they're still interested in making money. They're not interested in kind of delivering the best service or the best quality or the most reliable uptime or the cleanest energy or uh, whatever things that we should actually be valuing. So with nuclear and with wind and with solar and with natural gas and coal, they all have their different sort of cost models as to why one is preferred in a given region versus the other. And from a big picture scheme, we should probably be moving away from fossil fuels, coal, and natural gas, and moving to some longer-term stable fuel source that is safe. And people often like to complain that nuclear isn't safe, but I would argue that nuclear with a profit motive isn't safe. Nuclear without a profit motive can be made much safer when corners aren't cut, when long-term planning is intentional and purposeful and done with a safety focus in mind.
0: And, and let's not forget that some of these nuclear power plants are are in existence to create weapons. So you play uranium shells? You also have the profit motives of design with, you know, a nuclear arsenal and stockpile, someone has to make them. It's not the U S military. They're not making them. They are subcontracting us out to companies that are making a ton of money on these because you don't hear about it because it's part of national security. So these companies that do these, these, you know, weapons grade things, you know, plutonium, hydrogen bombs, all that stuff, all those things are hidden from the public. So you don't have no idea how much money they make. So again, removing profit motive and moving um, imperialism from the equation means that we can actually generate safe, clean energy for everybody.
1: And along the militarized front of central planning to profit off of, you have NASA, which is arguably a research program funded by the government that seeks to do, I think, good and noble research, but it's also sort of militarized to create contracting opportunities for the big three contractors uh, militarily and kind of siphon off some of the public money for profit.
0: So what you've heard today is that, you know, as the government's designed to be the central focus of society and basically generate you know safety nets and, and generate research and keep us all safe and and make us i guess better people and finally get a corona vaccine what, what you've seen in the last 40 50 years is the shift to privatization funded by the federal government and this in itself is damaging to society and this is what we're trying to uh, educate everybody on which is that if we remove the profit motive, remove neoliberalism, we can move to a collective
1: that helps everybody, not just a few. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at WorkerMovement.com.